an honour to be here this morning on this lovely uh, Irish sweatery morning. Um, I was asked before Christmas it was to speak again um, in February, so I've had a bit of time to, to kind of prep, I suppose. But uh, every time I went to sit down and prepare something to speak on, uh, I was so close on so many occasions to just send a text out to say that I, I didn't want to do it and I wasn't going to do it. Uh, so I've been battling a little bit back and forth today, but what I found was what I was doing, I was actually comparing myself uh, with, with other people and, and doubting my ability, I suppose, and allowing these kinds of thoughts to, to enter into, into me mind. The usual lawyers, I think, have probably tended to agree with me whole life. Um, but as I, read, as, I, as I read the Bible, I just found it really encouraging that that some people, they said of Paul, they said, in person he is unimpressive and he's speaking amounts to nothing. But Paul points out that in all this com- comparing and grading and competing, that the point of the matter is very much missed that comparison is corrosive. And I think that comparing yourself to other people is the thief of joy. And all it does is it either puffs you up to price or it drives you down to despair. And I think that knowing that we belong to God is a wonderful answer to all this. We, we can know that he wouldn't have created or redeemed or called us unless he intended to finish his work in us. So, um, yeah, I guess I just wanted to remind, remind you, every person in this room this morning, that, um, uh, that you are wonderful, that you are unique, that your gifts are unique, and that there is no one in this world like you, and that in itself is your superpower. So don't ever try to be anyone other than you. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to share that with you this morning. It's not actually what I'm going to speak on, but I just wanted to, wanted to say that this morning I'm going to speak on the, the story of Solomon. Um, and I suppose I wanted to use Solomon's life, I suppose, as, um, as an illustration of the lives of our generation today. You know, when you look at Solomon, he was a man of great knowledge. He had every sensual pleasure a man could have. He had... He had the biggest house, he, had, he drank the finest wines, he had everything you could possibly want or imagine. He had 700 wives, and on top of that he felt the need to have 300 concubines, so I don't know why, but <laughs> he had every pleasure you could ever think of. It was at his beck and call. And he actually, he probably did what many of us would like to do but can't afford. And I read somewhere, I can't remember what, where it was, um, and it said some people are good because they can't afford to be bad. I thought it was kind of funny. Um, but yeah, we can see today that we're living in a generation of people that are, that are speaking after this knowledge and this wealth and security and love. And it seems that we're just on a great quest. We've become defined by the clothes that we wear, the crowds that we, we run with, the things that we buy, the places where we go. And the thing about it is, is we're actually a generation that has everything we could possibly want to need at our fingertips. But yes, statistically, we show that we're the most depressed. And I think that if you were to ask the question today, what's the greatest issue here? I, in my opinion, I believe that it's a lack of purpose and a lack of meaning in life. You know, something is, is expensive, and I think with every imaginable lust and pleasure at his fingertips, Solomon sat out on the stairs one night and he contemplated on the emptiness of it all. What did he say? He said, vanity, oh vanity, it's all vanity. And you know, when you look up the word vanity, it says, it says it's something that is vain, it's empty, and it's valueless. It's a bubble that works. And I, I found myself then asking the question this week, you know, how many of us know people that are 
really hurting and crying on the inside today or, or better yet how many people here in the room are feeling like that are experiencing those feelings on the outside we have a mask but on the inside that peace and that joy and that happiness that we're searching for it's not there there's something missing we think there's something wrong in our marriage in our school uh, in our relationship between our parents our friends something just seems missing in life and when I hear people talking about these kinds of feelings, my immediate reaction is, you know, do you know God? Do you know Christ? Do you know the joy and the peace that he can bring? Because it's in him, it's in him are the pleasures that you can have. You know, Solomon was the richest man in the history of the world and all these pleasures and melt and it meant absolutely nothing to him. The Bible says in Psalm 37, 16, it says, Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. And when I thought about that this week, I said, yeah, I'd rather be poor and know Christ than be the richest person in the world and not know Christ. And, but the thing about it is, is people, we just go crazy over money. We long for it. We just want it. And I'm sick of listening to myself even saying things like, oh, if only I had a bigger house, or if only I had a better car, or if only I had this, or if only I had that, then I'd be truly content. You know, I'd be, I'd be truly happy. But it's an absolute lie. I wouldn't, because what will happen is I want a few thousand more. I want that little bit more. Never satisfied with the stuff. And I love actually that quote from um, from the actor Jim Carrey. He said uh, he said I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything that they ever dreamed of, so they can see that it's not the answer. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that having money makes life a heck of a lot easier in many many ways, and I think it's okay to want to do well in life. In fact, I think it's very important, very important to do to always try our best. But we can't let it control us and we can't let it define us. Because the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money itself, but the love of money. You know, Solomon had great power. You know, men, they like power and prestige. And he had, all the, had more power than any man in his generation. He had the greatest army. He had the greatest navy in the world at that day. And he looked, he looked upon his mighty military power and just said, it's a bubble that bursts. What should profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Suppose you had all the power and all the wealth and all the knowledge in the world today and lost your soul. And the scary thing about that is many of us are actually doing that. We've, we've gained all that we can gain, but we're not sure about our soul. I know we can go to church every Sunday and we can read our Bible. We can be baptized. We can do all these things. And all these things are, are wonderful things to do. But if you don't know God on a personal level, then something's always going to be missing. You know, Solomon, he tried new things he thought would bring him happiness and peace and joy in his life. He developed a love for music and art and all these wonderful things, but nothing was working. Because you can keep striving after the things of this world, but they're never going to satisfy you. Because what you're looking for is only found in Christ. Because religion, religion without a personal encounter with, with, with God will not save the soul. It won't bring you peace to your soul that your soul longs for. So Solomon started asking these questions. He was asking, where is this peace and fulfillment? You know, where is life, purpose and meaning? And he came to this conclusion. He said, fear God and keep his commandments. In other words, he said that there is a judgment coming. And to be prepared for that judgment is the most important thing in this world. You know, uh, one of the most remarkable things about humanity uh, continues to be our willingness to make plans and preparations for 
literally anything and everything, even though there is absolutely no guarantee that we'll ever get to see them. Because we're not, we're, we're just not guaranteed tomorrow. Uh, I know back in October, uh, Trevor and myself, we were we were at home and um, Trevor had got a phone call from his mom to say that Trevor's youngest brother Connor, his girlfriend of 10 years, Sarah, she collapsed while they were out walking and died of an aneurysm in her brain and she was only 27 years of age, her whole life in front of her. She was planning out her future, planning the future with Connor. She had absolutely no health issues whatsoever, so you can imagine it was it was a huge shock and completely life-altering for Connor. And it, I kind of found it was it was very frightening because it was such a reminder of how fragile life can be, and how fame and money and all these things that we're chasing after are just no insulators. You know, I had two options here. I could have lived under a cloud of this fear because none of us are immune to this kind of tragedy. Or I could have recognised that life is not measured by the number of days, but what you do with the number of days that you're given. And don't get me wrong, like, there's nothing wrong with making plans and looking forward to things in life. I think, in my opinion, it would be a, mis- a miserable existence not to do that. But wouldn't it be wise, in the course of making plans for our future, to spend a bit of time making plans for our eternal future? Now, I don't, I don't know if Sarah did that. I can only speculate off the bed based off the fruits of our life. But the thing about it is, a whole window of time to prepare is now gone, it's closed. But mine hasn't, and yours hasn't. We need to be sure that we are in the world, but not of the world. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. So stop wasting your time on the things that aren't important. Fear God and follow Jesus. It says in John 14, it says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms, if that were not so. But I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. You know, when I read that, I was thinking, like, what, what's, this, what's truth today? Because, like, we're living in an era where, like, objective facts appear less influential than what appeals to our emotion. There's a tolerance for dishonesty, inaccurate allegations, and outright denial of facts. Blatant lies are becoming routine. And, you know, we not only need to hold truth in our head, but we need to get it into our heart. Because we can know the truth, but if it's not acted upon, then it never does end. It's truth acted upon that sets us free and moves and delivers and changes. Do you ever find yourself speculating and uh, creating scenarios in your head that are made up of no facts? I'm the world's worst for this, and so are you, Bridget. I actually texted a friend recently and uh, because she didn't pe- uh, text me back immediately I assumed for whatever reason in my head that she wasn't talking to me and uh, so I started to build up a case in my head um, against her and I argued and she argued back and I won every time obviously <laughs> and, and soon enough in my head it was all 100% true and I, I was so mad at her and she ended up texting me back a couple of days later apologising that uh, for the late text that she had a couple of things going on at home and uh, she wanted to tell me how much she loved me and missed me and appreciated me. 
and appreciated my friendship. And uh, as you can imagine, I was absolutely mortified. <laughs> and mortified by how I reacted and shocked at how I reacted. Because um, how many other times have I done that? Like developing this virtual evidence in my mind and creating scenarios and speculating with absolutely no facts or truth to back them up. But sometimes my perception of things that happen in my life aren't always reality. You know, as we grow with God, we become transformed into his likeness. And, you know, what if the way you're perceiving things in life, whether it's your relationships, your perceived success, or even the way you perceive God isn't actually the full picture? Maybe there's more to the story than what you're interpreting it to be. Your experience of reality is not always true. And we have to realise that sometimes our thoughts or the way we interpret our experiences are not always the truth. What we feel is true is not actually true at all. So I think it's important not to allow your emotions to take over because emotions exist to serve you, not to lead you. And that's why it's so important to seek truth, to understand truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. Now you, you may be in a position this morning where you feel like you can't change your life or you can't change your circumstances. But I believe in my heart of hearts that if you change your mind and align it with the truth, then God will change your life. God will change your circumstances. In Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. If you want to transform your life, then a great place to start is in your mind. But you know, there are demons and they have a power to blind our minds towards spiritual things. The Bible teaches us in Titus 1, he says that our minds are vile. In Daniel 5, it says that they are filled with pride. In 1 Timothy 6, 5, it says they are corrupt. In Ephesians 4, it says they are filled with vanity. In Proverbs 21, it says they are wicked. It's so important that we receive Christ and let him dominate your mind. Let your mind be renewed. The scripture says that you can be transformed by your thinking. And I, I genuinely believe this. I believe that if the mind wasn't valuable, then God wouldn't want to renew it. And if he didn't have a place of high value and high priority, he would spend absolutely no time rebuilding it. And so part of our responsibility, I think, is to yield. Yield his way of seeing. He sees different and he thinks different. We're not, we're not even close. You know, he thinks that giving is the way you receive. He thinks that going low is how you are exalted. And he even thinks dying is how you live. Everything is so reversed that we can turn that knob on as an action, but as a lifestyle, it's the challenge. So it's so important that we understand and learn and teach what kingdom perspective is like, which is expanding for us all the time. You know, I have two sons and I am determined that they grow up knowing the truth, knowing what's really important in life, knowing God, bringing out the best in them and seeing the plans and purposes that God has for their lives and speaking those plans and purposes out because they are set apart. You know, on, on, on a daily basis, I, I talk to Jake about um, making good choices because your choices determine your future. And I think that if he listens to me saying it one more time, he's actually going to kill me. <laughs> But I, I saw uh, something from a pastor from the States and I thought it was brilliant and he said this. He said, if you speak to the fool in my kid, I get the fool. But if I speak to the king in my kid, I draw out the king. And we have to do that with this generation. 
Let's be intent with raising game changers. Let's be an example to our children, to our grandchildren, to our nieces, to our nephews. Equipping them, knowing who they are in, in Christ. Equipping them to live in the world but not of the world. Because if we don't, there will be no church tomorrow, um, tomorrow. Because it's their children, they are the future. In Proverbs 27:12, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your body and all your mind. My mind should be a gift that God gave me to draw me near to him. To celebrate his wonders, his incredible goodness and faithfulness. And one of the things that I'm learning at the moment and it fascinates me is how our will is so important because if our will isn't surrendered to Christ, we'll use reason to get our own way. You know, Paul talks about the mindset of the flesh being hostile towards God, not neutral. It's actually at war with God. So what we learn is to submit our hearts and our minds to the word of God. The mind of Christ is the renewed mind. You know, I suppose it's easy to... It's easy to talk about having a transformed mind and much more challenging to know what life looks like once you actually begin to think the way God thinks about you. But it's in him. When you start to do that, it's Jesus. He can set you free. He can set you free from your anxiety, from your troubles, from your problems. He says, I can give you a peace beyond your understanding. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I'm not saying he's going to take away all these problems and all these troubles, but he can give you a peace and a joy that will enable you through them and live through them if you put your trust and your faith in him. Because what happens when you accept Christ into your life and the Holy Spirit resides in your heart, he produces a joy, a supernatural joy, and you can't get that anywhere else. The world's on a great quest for something, whether it's in drugs, whether it's in sex, whether it's in entertainment, they want something. They just don't quite know what it is yet. And it's elusive because they never get it. They don't find it. Because it's only found in Christ. He will give you the real things of this life. And he's coming back in power. And he's coming back in great glory. And we need to be ready. We need to be alert. We need to be in the world but not of the world. You know, how, how sure is your relationship with God? Are you marching under his banner? Are you, are you under his flag with great, great intent? I'm going to ask you this morning, I'm going to ask you to make a declaration to Christ, to say from this moment on, I am following you and you alone. In a few minutes, I'm just going to ask Rob to, to play a worship song. And while it's playing, let it be a moment between, between you and God to really, really surrender to him, to make sure of your relationship with him, whether you're receiving him into your heart for the very first time or wanting to rededicate your life to him. Jesus said, if you will not acknowledge me before men, then I will not acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. And the thing about it is, is you may never again in your whole life get the opportunity to do this. There may never be another moment where you're so close to the kingdom than you are right now. The Bible warns time and time, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of of your salvation. You have no promise of tomorrow. God's speaking to you now, today. And you're making a choice this morning, a choice between Christ and all that the world has to offer. And you're saying, God, I'm putting you first from this moment on.